two, one. All right, we're back for another This Week in Crowdfunding episode. A uh, much more eventful week this week in the crowdfunding ecosystem. We have four stories that we're going to rip through. Um, so, yeah, let's just jump right into it. Uh, first story is Indiegogo, the um, crowdfunding platform, launched Drops. I thought this was a really interesting article um, from what I can gather. What we were talking about before we started recording, um, they're trying to do what Nike and Supreme do with their drops um, and have crowdfunding companies start to do it. So, uh, Connor, what did you gather from it and what are your thoughts on it? I think it's an interesting idea. I don't know how well it will work because I don't know if I think for Nike and Supreme, those buyers tend to be more impulsive buyers. And with crowdfunding, you don't want investors to be as impulsive. But I think it will continue to attract and draw more attention and traffic to the sites, to the startups. So, you know, the more eyeballs you get to see these startups, to see the deals, the bigger the market will grow, the more traction the market will gain. And so in the end, I think it's a great idea. And I think try it, see what happens. What do you think? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on that. Um, uh, kind of reminds me to the reaction we had to start Engine Private a few weeks back. Um, you know, not necessarily great for the crowdfunding industry, like not necessarily a win for crowdfunding, but, um, you know, any attention that goes to these sites is going to be good. I, more eyeballs are good. Um, kind of like the uh, any press is good press type yep. thing. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily know. I can't really speak to the success of drops. I actually don't really know much about the industry, but um pretty cool ideas not something i would have come up with but um i think indiegogo is going to do a good job with it um they've actually been seeing some pretty good growth from what i know i do think it's going to be interesting because the drops are going to be pretty there's going to be a big emphasis on the perks right so when the drop happens it's going to be a limited edition special so the perks are going to be way more exclusive or better than what they would have been so I think this will give us good insight on how much perks actually matter to the investor when they're investing in startups. So we right. get to understand it kind of isolates that as its own variable because that's the emphasis with the drops. Yeah, and I think it'll allow Indiegogo to learn a lot about their uh, their users and investors. Yep. You know, what type of investors on Indiegogo, and that's only going to help the type of companies when they're trying to pick the crowdfunding yes. platform that they're going to be on. You know, um, yep. if Indiegogo is going to agree. Uh, moving on, uh, our next story, I have them all on my phone today, I didn't print any of them out. Um, Japanese regulators plan to double crowdfunding investment cap for retail investors. A pretty Let's exciting go. story out of Japan. Um, Connor, you were just in Japan, so maybe I'll let you give the first thoughts on this. Well, first of all, Japan has really good yakitori, which is chicken on a stick. So I just want to put that out there. But I think that's really exciting. Um, obviously, more attention, more growth, more opportunity for now investors in Japan to invest in crowdfunding. Also, Japan is on the come up. Pretty sure Warren Buffett just had a meeting in March in Japan with the Bank of Japan, and he's looking to make a bunch of investments in Japan. And if he's looking to make investments in Japan, that's because he's seen something or he's seen a lot of promise uh, going forward because he's a long-term thinker. So I think Japan's going to be a very big market. It's not going to have an immediate impact, I don't think, but it's going to have a very big impact over the course of the next five to ten years. Yeah, and there's been considerable startup momentum in Japan, um, you know, over the last 
five or so years, they had this, I'm just reading through the article, they had this five-year startup development plan that they announced in November 22. So, uh, What's nice that plan? Um, I don't know much about it. It's, uh, it's, I think it's just increasing investment from VCs and, and businesses and this corporate venture capital entities. I don't know anything about, but um, it's provided a good amount of momentum for startups, which is always a good thing. Yes. You think of Japan, the first thing that comes to my mind is the video game industry, right? And they've had, uh, you know, considerable innovation there. And, uh, no, uh, it's, it's exciting to see Japan, um, doing this. So I, this is a part of the article I don't really, um, have perspective on, but it says that, uh, retail investors in Japan have a maximum of 500,000 yen and annually a cap. So you were just it's over like the West in the U.S. dollars. That's it was it was like one forty yen per dollar. One forty so yen per dollar. That's like nothing. That's <laughs> that's yeah, really like, low. So the fact that they can double it, okay, that's a big that's a good start, right? A good Let's start, yeah. Um, so yeah, it sounds like then you know if you're at one forty yen per dollar and now it's a million yen, it'll be a little bit closer to what the United States um, maximum is. So that's great. Um, excited to see what Japan comes up with. And uh, see the startups that come out of Japan. Obviously, just talked about Warren Buffett, and uh, it seems like they're putting an emphasis on venture capital, which is always a good thing for the equity crowdfunding industry. Um, moving on to our third story: um, the role of crowdfunding in small business growth. This has been an interesting uh, kind of, let's call it, trend that I've seen in articles. Um, we've talked a lot about how direct-to-consumer businesses have really benefited from crowdfunding. That's no mystery. But um, you have seen there's been a considerable uptick in small businesses raising through crowdfunding, which um, not traditional in any sense. Um, usually, they keep their equity to themselves. Um, but I'm interested to see what you think on this, Connor. Until I realized, until I read the article that with rates increasing, a lot of small businesses can't afford getting a loan from banks. So if they can mm -hmm. go the crowdfunding route, they're going to do that to raise capital. So that's an impact from the rate hikes that I never thought about, but is going to affect a lot more companies, a lot, a lot more startups, a lot more small startups than most people think. And I think that's only going to increase the amount of startups that are then going to go the crowdfunding route, whether it's through debt or through equity, because there's the debt crowdfunding aspect too that they can go. But it is interesting. Now I'm trying to kind of really figure out how I truly feel about it because I think sometimes these startups can be put in a really bad position, maybe give up too much equity, and then it's really hard to continue to grow going forward. But I think it's a good safety net, a good option that they have. Yeah, I think with the climbing rate environment, um, it's interesting to see, uh, obviously the uh, giving up equity is one thing, but, um, sites like Honeycomb have really seen an uptick in their investment, uh, in debt offerings. Um, yes. you know, if, if these small businesses, you know, they generally get financing from regional banks and regional banks seemingly with the higher rate environment aren't giving out as many loans or as favorable of terms. So if, if they can go to a site like Honeycomb and get more favorable terms, I mean, that's just the way markets work, right? You're going to go for the better deal. 
So I think that part of it is exciting. Now, the equity side of it, I think, um, is yet to be seen because of the reasons you talked about. Um, you know, I, I've, it's interesting. I've been seeing a growing trend, and I may just be late on this. Um, I scroll through YouTube of people talking about how they're building wealth by buying these small businesses that have been around for so long. And, um, you know, I think what a, when a lot of people think of equity, they think about the public markets, right? And these big corporations, Microsoft, Tesla. But there is a lot of these small businesses are so lucrative that I think the securitization of their equity is going to be beneficial for um, retail investors because it becomes another vehicle to not only, you know, invest in something that's a part of your community and get back to your community and, you know, make sure the businesses in your town stay around, but um, to be able to diversify in that way and own other businesses while you have stock and equities, you know, you have bonds, equities, and, and you know, maybe this is a part of crowdfunding that it, a thing that crowdfunding needed by adding just another diversifiable asset um, to your portfolio. I think, I think that utility of crowdfunding is going to become more and more prevalent going forward. And we haven't seen situation a situation like this in a while because rates have been so low for so long. But now we know rates are going to stay high higher for longer. So right. a lot of these startups are feeling it now. This is year one. Imagine what it's going to be like year five, right? So it's a good option. I think talking about buying businesses, I think we should buy a laundromat. I heard laundromats, great business yeah. to buy. Car washes. The cash the flow is amazing. Right? Like you, you buy a couple car washes. Now, I, I, I mean, I think small businesses are such an important part of our economy. And if we can help them stay around, obviously, you know, you don't want bad actors and you don't want predatory deal terms or whatever, but yeah. anything to help these small businesses stay around is going to be a good thing. Um, we saw how important they were and also how fragile the market is in small business during COVID. So I think that this is, this is great. Um, obviously, you know, it's a deal by deal basis as it relates to, is this good for the business or is this not? But I think, as a broad, uh, overarching theme, I think it's going to be a good thing. Yeah, I think anytime you can increase the amount of options that the business owner has, it's always beneficial for the business owner. Hundred percent. That's you know, that's the way efficient markets work, right? Yep. Give them options. Hopefully, they pick the best one. Um, should we talk Tesla now? Yep. Last one, Tesla. Brendan, how do you feel about the Tesla earning report? <laughs> So I am a uh, noted Tesla investor and a noted uh, long Tesla investor, as in I'm going to hold that stock for a long time. Um, I am not super worried. I think I might be in the minority on that one. Um, my favorite quote of all time, and it's like it's a TikTok that comes up on people's feeds, but it's my favorite quote. It's from Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, and he's like, I didn't understand how valuable Tesla was until my son told me they're not a car company, they're a data company. And so anything that relates to cars in my mind is 
I, I almost re react to just a little less. Like, I don't look at Tesla the way I look at Ford. I don't look at Tesla the way I look at, um, you know, any other car, GM, right? Right. Tesla has such another aspect to their business that these companies don't have um, that makes me feel safer in my investment. I not only not to mention that Elon Musk is the greatest entrepreneur of our generation. If I were to bet on somebody, it would be him. And um, so, yes, you know, I think Cybertrucks, he cut back a little bit on the hype of Cybertrucks and, you know, the revenue wasn't what they wanted it to be. And um, but if you listen to the earnings call, I mean, no one in management really sounded that concerned in my mind. It's, um, you know, I think it's easy to look at short term trends and overreact. I don't want to say people are overreacting because I could be wrong. Um, yeah. Yeah. But um, look, I think every, you know, and another thing I've been, this will be my last thing for Pasadena. Another thing I've been hearing is that uh, people are concerned because they're cutting down on the price of the car and that's almost pricing out people that bought it at a higher price. So my reaction to that is <laughs> the only way Tesla is going to be a grand company or like one of the biggest companies in the world is if they are a common man's car, right? Yes. Like, yep. yeah, I mean, luxury vehicles are, are fantastic, but that was never Elon Musk's dream. Elon Musk's dream was to make EV accessible for everyone. And yeah, maybe we're pricing people pricing people out that bought it higher if that's even a thing but um i am still of the belief that in the long term tesla can become the common man's ev and that they're a data company and that their data is superior to literally anybody else in the industry as relates to full self-driving um so in the long term my perspective hasn't changed so a couple things first if you look like a bunch of the big headlines was Operating margin fell to 7.6%, right? And in Q4 22, it was 16%. A lot of that though comes from the price cuts. But if you're looking at it from just a financial, uh, financial statement perspective, where you're just looking at the numbers and then calculating the DCF going forward so you can figure out the value of the company, you're completely missing what Elon Musk is doing. And what he's doing is he's taking, uh, he's losing on the short-term profits in order for long-term massive, massive gains by capturing mm -hmm. the market share now and pricing out the competition so the competition can't enter to these self-driving cars because it's going to be way too expensive to compete at the price Elon Musk has already set in place. So now right. they can't compete. Elon Musk is continuing to get cars out, so he's continuing to collect more and more data. These companies can't make their own self-driving cars, so they're going to have to say, hey, Elon, can we license the data you have to put it in our cars that way we can have self-driving cars. Elon says, yeah, sure. But now he controls basically what he can charge for those companies. And then he can increase the licensing fees whenever he wants. So he's constantly going to be in control. He's going to get the data that then he gives to the other competitors so that they can use their self-driving cars. But in the end, Tesla is going to be the car company controlling self-driving, which is going to be, I mean, I think it's already the next big thing, like realistically. Yeah. Next five years, everyone's probably going to have self-driving cars because from what I've seen, from what I've heard, everyone loves it. It's pretty safe. And, yeah, I think that's a financial statement aspect where people are just looking to react negative. 
because they're like, the profits are down. Well, obviously, the profits are going to be down when you're cutting the price of the car that much. But I also think people want to see Elon Musk fail. I, I truly do. It seems like every article, people want him to fail. And, you know, in basketball, there's a saying, never bet against Jordan. Well, in business, yeah. there's a saying, never bet against Elon. Because never Elon's going to find a way to do it, and he's going to succeed. So why do you want to bet against him? Yeah, and I mean, I couldn't have said any better myself. And then just to add to that, I think what you're seeing with a lot of the market commentary is the difference between these uh, shorter-term investors and these longer-term investors. And, yes. and and that's that's not like – that's just the way it is. I mean, you know, people that it, – it, I think Jim Cramer said once, like, don't listen to the people that aren't playing the same game as you. Yes. And I think you see the difference with a guy like Ron Barron right, who's super long on Tesla. He's like, yeah, this is a long-term investment. I don't really care what happens in the short term. That's not my problem. That's not why I'm in it. And then, you know, you're seeing a lot of other market commentary that's like, you know, in the short term, this company is overvalued and this is, you know, whatever. Both can be right. And that's okay. Um, I just try and tend to keep my perspective as a Tesla investor into, you know, playing the same game like listening to the people that are playing the same game as me. Blocking out the noise of people that aren't playing your game. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think both people can be right. I think it's it's going to be an interesting couple months with the Cybertrucks. And, I mean... When when do they come out? November 30th, I think, is what he said. Um, okay. That's when they first roll them out. Next, it's going to take about 18 months to start rolling them out. So, that's exciting. I, I can't wait until I see one on the road. Those things are absolutely... They literally look like a a tank like it's insane yeah. <laughs> um, i mean would i buy one i mean i don't know it's not really hard but there's definitely a lot of people out there that would i'm more yeah, of like a, you know mile on a wide guy mile x guy i like their, their smaller their smaller cars are just so slick um i think that does it for uh this week in crowdfunding got anything else that's it we appreciate you all as always thank you for listening to us thank you for following us thank you for supporting us we'll be back next week we got a great great amazing interview coming out monday right we do yes with uh ian low of dr chain um yep. tune in the great interview so uh that is one of our favorite interviews so uh be ready for that and uh we will see you next time so long bye-bye